0: Well, I'll surprise you this morning and instruct you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We've spent a long time in this chapter, but we're wrapping it up today, Lord willing. And let's begin reading with verse 18. We'll pick up our study there. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. This is the Word of God. As we are picking up our study this week and and come to this passage, I just want to be clear about one thing, and that is that I believe fully and completely in the perspicuity of Scripture. I'm sure all of you have used the word perspicuity this week, but perspicuity is an unclear word that means that something is clear. Um, I, I believe completely in the clarity of Scripture, and that is what God has given us and what we need to believe is perfectly understandable. Now, it doesn't mean we can understand everything about God, or that everything in Scripture will make perfect sense to us uh, at the first time we read it, but those things which God has required of us, He has given us the ability to understand. That said, when I come to 1 Peter chapter 3, and especially verse 19 and 20, I'll just be honest, really honest with you and tell you I have no idea what he talks, He's talking about. I have no idea what these verses mean. And I'm not alone in that. Uh, Martin Luther, many of you know that name, the the uh, monk-turned-Christian in the 16th century. Uh, He he wrote of this passage as well, uh, that of all the studies and all the commentaries and all that he's read, he really wasn't sure what Peter meant either. the first verse, verse 18, is, is very clear. It's the, the most concise, probably one of the most concise expressions of the gospel in the New Testament. But we get to verse 19, and just read it with me again. He says, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah. Now, anybody you read who studies the Bible or is a, a biblical scholar will agree on one thing. And that's that Jesus preached to somebody, somewhere, sometime. And that's about it. When you get beyond that, there's a lot of debate. You read ten commentaries, and you very well may get ten different interpretations of that passage. Let me just share with you three, just so I can prove to you I did the work and tried to understand it. Um, One one view is this, that when he says that he uh, was put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit, by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison... Some think that that is just a reference back to Jesus' earthly ministry. That the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit by which he preached and the spirits in prison are those who simply were imprisoned prison to sin. And that's true that people before coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ are prisoners to sin. Um, but that's what some think this verse means is that Jesus is, or Peter's re- referencing Jesus' earthly ministry. Some say that the spirits in prison are those Old Testament saints, those who died before Jesus came and died for sins. And then whenever Jesus died on the cross, there was the, you know, this gap of time before His resurrection. And Jesus in the Spirit went to where they were in the, the realm of the dead and preached the gospel to them so that they could believe and go with Him to heaven. I'll just say maybe, but maybe not. A third view, um, which seems to be pretty popular uh, with like-minded Christians along with us, is that when Jesus died, he in the Spirit went to these spirits in prison whom, with the reference to Noah, were prematurely uh, put into bondage. You know, there's demons and and Satan's still at work in the world today, but there are some who are already imprisoned. And uh, that's what some think Peter means here, that these were some who were around in the days of Noah. And after Jesus's death, he went to where they were and basically just declared his victory. Ha ha, I won. And uh, then he came back from the dead on the third day. I like that view. I like that, that, that That uh, version of Jesus uh, who would boast in his victory over Satan. I think that he's going to do that a plenty. But in reality, that's not the thrust of the text. So I think we can still look at this passage and walk through these verses together uh, and still get what Peter's trying to say, even if we don't perfectly agree on what exactly he's talking about when he says Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. If you disagree with any of my comments, you're welcome to send me an email. You can uh, access that on the church website. Back to verse 18. Let's get to the point here. Here's what Peter says. For Christ also suffered. Now, it begins with a conjunction. We've got the word for, and then he throws in the word also. So this isn't the beginning of the thought. Anytime you're studying Scripture, you need to know the the context. You'll remember last week we spoke of the suffering of believers, And that in reality, when it comes to believers being faithful in suffering, that is when we give our greatest defense of the gospel. And Peter instructed us that we were always to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. And then we came down to verse 17, and he made this comment there at the end. He says, "...for it is better..." It is better, if it's the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And that's something that's hard for us to grasp. We can't think, we can't fathom how it could possibly be better for us if it's God's will for us to suffer. That's We, we do everything in our power to escape suffering, yet for some of us, in fact, most of us who follow Jesus, it will be His will, at least to some degree, to suffer. So it's better, Peter says, and then he picks up in verse 18, "For, for Christ also suffered." And we've already talked about this back in chapter 2 about how that Jesus is our example in suffering. But Jesus in fact did suffer once for sins. You know this, you know the the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and the time leading up, how that he was abandoned by his own followers. He was rejected, he was betrayed by one of his own. He was lied about, he was mocked, he was persecuted, he was beaten, he had the flesh ripped from his body so that even his bones were exposed. He had a crown of thorns beaten into his brow as they mocked him and, and falsely declared him as the king of the Jews. In a mocking way, they put that purple robe on him and ripped it off his already tender flesh, what was left of it. He was forced to carry the beam of his own cross up the mountain. He had to lay down on this cross and he did it willingly without fighting back as the nails were driven into his hands and into his feet. Surely it is no exaggeration at all when Peter says, "...for Christ also suffered." So just a word of encouragement to you Christians who have experienced and are experiencing suffering. And for those of you for whom it is yet to come, be encouraged in this when you suffer. Christ also suffered in a way that you could never imagine. Wherever it is that you will go or wherever it is you are right now, it's a place where Christ has already been. Your high priest, the one you follow, is not one who can't sympathize with you. He can, because he's experienced what you experience, and worse. Christ also suffered, but He suffered, Peter says, once for sins. Once for sins. What's the reason for Jesus' death? In one word, it is sin. That was What took Jesus to the cross to make payment for sins? Paul was clear in Romans when he said that the wages or the payment for sin is what? Death. Every single one of us has sinned, therefore, every single one of us deserve death. And not merely physical death in this world. Surely that's the case because by one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death passed upon all men because all have sinned. But there is a death beyond the physical death of the body. And that is what the Bible calls the second death. That is a separation from God. That is eternal conscious torment in hell. It was sin that deserved punishment. God is just, He is holy, He is righteous, He cannot and He will not sweep sin under the rug. The debt must be paid. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. So because of your sin and because of my sin, God requires blood. He requires death. And if if everything stands as it is, each one of us would die in our sins and suffer that eternal death say, well, that seems a little bit harsh to commit a sin on earth in a, in a 70 year span and have to be punished for all of eternity. Well, that's because you don't think your sin's all that bad. Or you don't think much of the God against whom you've sinned. Because if you sin against an infinite and a holy God, then you have sinned infinitely. And your punishment must be an infinite Punishment. And left to ourselves, we would have to pay that debt on our own. But Peter reminds us that Christ suffered once for sins. All of the judgment, all of the wrath that God had stored up for you because of your sin, when Jesus died on the cross, He directed that wrath on His own Son and poured it out. Jesus bore the punishment. He bore the suffering, the shame, and the wrath that you and I deserve for our sins. Jesus suffered for sins. But he says he suffered once for sins. The Greek word is hapax. In some of your translations it will say he suffered once for all for sins. Jesus suffered in a way that his death, his payment for sin, could be effective for anyone and everyone who will believe in him and put their trust in him. There aren't many people who have ever done something in the world that has affected everybody on the planet. You think about even the guy who invented the telephone or the light bulb. How many people in the world today have been impacted by that one act? Yet even so, not everyone is impacted. And even if a day comes when everybody on the planet has a light bulb and a telephone, guess what? You still have all those people from history past that weren't beneficiaries of that invention. There's only a couple of people who have ever done one thing that affected all people for all time. One was Adam. He was in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. He had this this place that God had given him to live, and and he could enjoy all the fruit of the garden and, and anything he wanted. He had perfect fellowship with God. And God says, don't eat of that one fruit. That fruit from that one tree in the midst of the garden, don't touch it, don't eat it. You will die if you do. And Adam sinned. Eve was deceived and she ate the fruit. She brought the fruit to Adam. Adam was not deceived. He willfully, in his own rebellion, took of the fruit of the tree and ate and plunged humanity into sin and death. So there's one man who did one thing that affected everybody for all time, but there is another, and that is Jesus. Because just as sin entered into the world and death through sin because of one man, so also by the deed and the righteousness of one man, that is Jesus, many will be made righteous. Jesus suffered once for all. His salvation is available to all who believe in Him. And He did it once, never to be repeated. You think about this act on the the backdrop of the Jewish sacrificial system, where they brought those animals in every year to the high priest. And not just one animal for the whole nation, but the head of every family had to bring his own animal. And over the years, these animals being slaughtered, the blood being shed for the, for the covering of sin, for a year. Millions and millions of animals being killed year after year after year throughout Israel's history. Yet one day, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, comes along. And John the Baptist sees him at the beginning of his ministry coming to be baptized. And he says what? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, not of the Jews, not of just your household, but the sins of the world for everyone who will call on His name. Jesus suffered, yes. He died on the cross, yes. He suffered for sins, yes. But He suffered once, never to be repeated. And it was good enough for everyone's sins Till the end of time. His suffering was good enough even for yours. To make payment for your sins. Peter says in that next phrase. He says Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. The just for the unjust. See Jesus was just. That is he was righteous. He was sinless, without blame. He was holy and righteous and perfect and pure. And you and I are everything opposite of that. He is just, you are unjust. He was pure, you are impure. He is righteous, you are unrighteous. The just for the unjust. You see, Jesus didn't deserve His punishment. If the wages of sin is death and Jesus never sinned, then He did not deserve to die. And He didn't have to. But the Scriptures teach us, Jesus Himself said, I lay my life down willingly. No one takes it from me. The Good Shepherd, Jesus said, lays down His life for the sheep. Jesus, on His own accord, by His own will, to please the Father, living a sinless and a perfect and a spotless life in your behalf, because you never could, He did it for you, laid down His life to make payment for your sins. He loved you to the degree that He would step down from His throne in heaven, live sinlessly among sinful humans, be falsely accused and put to death, So you could be saved. So that your sins could be forgiven. The just died for the unjust. You see, before you really can even believe or fathom anything that Jesus did for you, you have to realize that you are unjust. You are not righteous. Paul, even quoting Isaiah, says there is none good. No, not one. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable, and that's that's how we all stand. We've broken the law of God. He gave us his expectations. You've coveted what your your neighbor has. You've looked with lust and committed adultery in your heart. Maybe you've committed adultery uh, literally. Maybe you've hated someone. You've lied. You've stolen. And even if you say, well, I haven't done all those things, you certainly can't say that you've loved God with all your heart at all times. And that He's always been number one in your life. And if there's ever been a time, a moment, even a second in your life when God has not been your top priority, friend, you have sinned. Because He's worthy of your allegiance, your faithfulness, your affection. We're all unjust. I'm not just picking on you. You're looking at an unjust man. Like Isaiah, Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But the just died for the unjust. This is substitution. Substitution where we deserve to die because of our sin, where we had accrued this debt, this penalty, and and, and judgment and justice must be served, someone steps into the courtroom and pays our fine. It's It's a debt, it's a payment that we could never afford, something we could never pay back to God. No good deed you ever could do, no accumulation of good deeds could ever earn you favor with God. You could never work your way up to heaven. Because you could never be totally, completely sinless and righteous. Even if you never sin from this moment to the rest of your life, you can't do a thing about the sins you've already committed. You can't work your way back to God. You need someone out to do something for you. And the just Jesus died for the unjust. You. Jesus died for you. He took the punishment and made payment for your sins. And he did it, Peter says, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. That that word, bring. In Peter's day, it was used to describe the person that the king would appoint outside of his palace. And it was that guy's job To make sure that no one got through except for the people who were supposed to get through. No one could get in to see the king unless they came through this man and he gave them the okay. He made sure they met the credentials to see the king. And that's what Jesus is for us. Jesus died for you and he can now bring you in to God. He can bring you to Christ. or Christ can bring you to God. You could never get in on your own. Your credentials aren't sufficient. You're sinful. God is sinless. You can't come into His presence. But if someone who is righteous and holy and sinless were to bring you to God, then you could come in. It's like the image of the the two cliffs with the large gap in between. You have God on one side and man on the other. And in the middle is death. If you try to get to God on your own, no matter how far you can jump, you could never clear the Grand Canyon. There's no way in your own strength you could ever make it to God. But if someone were to come along and build a bridge and take you across, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus died for you. He bridged that gap between us and God. And now we can come to Him and have fellowship. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, that we might have fellowship with God being put to death in the flesh. And let's just be clear on that. Jesus did literally, physically die. None of this business where he, people say he was under such stress that he passed out and they thought he was dead and then they put him in the tomb and then he got better and on the third day he got up and he was fine. He never actually died. None of that. Nobody survives crucifixion. Peter's clear, he was put to death in the flesh. It wasn't a spiritual death, but he physically, literally died for you. Have any of you ever had anyone in your life to die for you? I would, most of you if, if, would say no, if not all of you. That's a rare thing for someone to literally die for another person. There's a handful of people in the world you might do that for. You might do it for your wife or for your husband. You might do it for your kids or maybe even for your parents. Maybe, just maybe, a dear friend. But the Scriptures tell us that God demonstrated His love toward us. Not while we were righteous, not while we were good, but while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. No one's ever loved you like that. No one has ever loved you the way that Jesus loved you. But he didn't just die. In English, we've got the word but, but it's really a strong contrast in Greek. He says, indeed, Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. See, that's what set Jesus apart from anybody else who had ever been crucified. You know, from the the human perspective, if Jesus had just died on the cross and stayed dead and that been the end of it, nobody would really have any reason to believe a word He said. Because before He died, He said, I'm going to be turned over to the, 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 the authorities in Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise from the dead. If it didn't happen, He was a liar and He is not God in the flesh. He is not your Savior. You have no payment for your sins. But... He did rise from the dead. He did prove that he was exactly who he said he was. He did keep his word. Not even death could keep him. He died for you and he's so powerful. He has such dominion over death that death itself could not keep him down. He died for you and he came back from the dead. And verse 19 does say, By whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And for whatever else Peter might mean by this, let me say this, any of you who are still in your sins, you are in prison. And it is only by the power of that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that you can be released. Are you in prison to sin? The, the worst kind of prison when it comes to sin is the kind you don't even realize you're in prison. Because you love your sin. It's such an integral part of your life you can't imagine doing without it. Maybe you do recognize that you're in a prison. That you're held by a sin. Or multiple sins. Whatever that is. Whether it's pride. Greed. Lust, pleasure, whatever it is, you know. I pray that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that God will show it to you if you don't. God, bring it to our minds. Make it clear. Show us our sin. Are you in prison to sin? The only way that you can ever be released is by the power of this message of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You can come to Jesus. You can come to the One who died for you and He can release you from the prison of sin. You can be set free. You can have mercy. You can be forgiven. You can escape punishment and death. You can escape hell if you just come... To Jesus. He makes this reference to Noah and the days of Noah. And look how he describes God, verse twenty. He says he talks of those who were formerly disobedient, but he says, When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah. God was awfully patient with those people. In the days of Noah, Scripture tells us that whatever sinful thing came into the heart of man, He just did it. There was no restraint. And maybe that's your life. Maybe you're just, you live in disobedience to God, and whatever your heart desires, you just go after it. It really doesn't matter what God says, you're just going to do what you want. And in the days of Noah, God was patient. He, he called on this man Noah to build an ark. So that there would be a way of escape. And he gave them 120 years to repent. He gave them 120 years to say, okay, Noah, we hear you. The rain's coming, God's going to judge us. We want to get on the ark, we want to be saved. God is long-suffering. He is patient. He is kind. He has waited this long for you. But friend, let me tell you, His patience will not last forever. Because even though He gave them 120 years, there still came the day that the door of the ark was shut and the rain fell. And the world was judged and everyone in it for their sin. And all the patience and all the long suffering that God has had with you, or you've just been enjoying your sin, one day that patience will run out. Your last opportunity to repent and be saved will come and go, and you will stand under the judgment of God. But for those who did get on the ark, eight souls, Peter says we saved. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their, their wives, that makes eight. And we say praise God because we're all here today. <laughs> for those who would enter the ark, they were saved from the judgment. And today you stand under the judgment of God, you stand under His wrath, you will be punished for your sins. But if you will run to the ark, that is Christ. Jesus is your ark of safety. Jesus is your rescue from the flood of God's judgment. If you will run to Him, I promise you, I guarantee you, on the authority of God's Word, you will be saved. Come to Jesus. Run away from your sin and run to Jesus. Enter into His ark. He says in verse 21, there's also an antitype which now saves us. And so this type that we already see in the ark and the flood and all that, there's a, there's a picture of what God does now. And he says there's an antitype which now saves us. And it says baptism, but before you think people are saved by being baptized, he's really clear and quick to say, not the removal of filth from the flesh. But listen, getting up here in this pool and letting us dunk you and pulling you back out, that doesn't save anybody. We might wash a little dirt off. You might come out smelling a little better. But it does nothing to rid you of your sins. But. The answer of a good conscience toward God. Coming to God and say. God I I want a clear conscience. I want my sins washed away. I want to be baptized. Not in water. But baptized into your family. Immersed into your family through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's where he is now. He tells us in verse 22, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. That's where Jesus is now. He's not in the grave He's not out somewhere declaring His victory to, to, to spirits in prison or whatever else might that, that might mean. Right now, at this moment, Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God, exercising dominion over all creation. And right now, He's being patient with us. Because we're living in rebellion. We're living in sin. But He has made a way of escape. And so I plead with you. I beg you who don't yet know Christ. Christ. Run to Him. Turn away from your sin. This isn't some flippant matter where you can just say, well, you know, that's not really a big deal. I'll get around to it later. You might think that, but you might not. You may never have an opportunity to just get around to it later. Please, run from your sin. Run to Jesus. He has mercy for you. He will forgive your sins. He will release you from the prison. And give you life with him. That's the conclusion of chapter 3. Will you come to Jesus? Let's pray. God, your word is powerful. It's clear. in what we need to know. And what we need to know is this, is that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to you, O God. He died, but has been made alive. He's seated on His throne. Judgment day is coming. God, I pray that sinners would heed the warning and run to Jesus for safety. Oh, God, save sinners here. And may we, your saints, though we may suffer, though we may be persecuted in this life, rest in the one who died for us, knowing that our greatest need has been met, our sins have been forgiven. Do your work in our hearts, God, I beg you in Jesus' name. Amen.